HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, good morning, Denver. Uh, welcome to our second day of Heritage Radio Network on tour. I see Alessandra over there. Hello, hello. We're here at Slow Food Nations in Denver, Colorado. My name is Kat Johnson. Um, we are bringing you live interviews from the heart of downtown Denver at Larimer Square. Um, we're kicking today off with a couple of great guests. We're about to get a little, we're going to bug out. That's a little tease for what's to come. Um, I'm here with Hannah Forden, who is also from Heritage Radio Network. I'm also bugging out, and it's a beautiful day in Denver. I'm so excited to uh, chat with our guests today. We got a little bit rained out yesterday afternoon, so we were supposed to talk to these fine people yesterday, and we rescheduled for this morning, which turns out great because it is beautiful outside. I quickly want to thank our sponsors for making our coverage possible. Uh, Hearst Ranch, the Big Green Egg, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts, and then of course Slow Food USA, um, our fabulous partners for getting us out here to Denver for the third year in a row. So without further ado, let me introduce our first guests of the day. We have Wendy Lou McGill, the Chief Executive Officer and Founder of Rocky Mountain Micro Ranch, and David George Gordon, the author of Eat a, the Eat a Bug Cookbook and 19 other titles. We don't have time to list them all. <laughs> Welcome, Wendy and David. Well, thank Good you. Good morning. Thank yeah. you. Okay, so we're bugging out, and that's because both of you talk a lot about and take a lot of action when it comes to getting people to eat bugs. So let's start with each of you telling us how you got started in the world of edible insects. Edible insects, bugs, bugs on the menu. Um, so um, I've been farming and making bug food products for about five years. Um, that was not what I dreamed of doing as a child. Uh, I was working actually in international development and I was starting to work in food security and I found out about insects as food from that lens. Um, but, but being based in Denver, I kept looking around thinking surely uh, with, between our environmental focus and our food scene, there must be somebody doing that and there wasn't and eventually uh, I had to do it. So here I am. <laughs> and how did you get started? I mean, you have a micro ranch, which I love that term, Thank by the you. way. So what is a micro ranch? How did you decide that that was going to be the business venture you would do in this field? Well, it's, uh, I think something that's really fundamental for people to be able to, um, to 
consider eating insects is to have access to them, right? And there aren't a lot of places that are raising insects for food, even now. There are maybe about a dozen in North America. Um, and and I, I intentionally called this the micro ranch because, well, obviously I named it, but because I wanted it to be really tied into traditional agriculture. Colorado mm -hmm. also has a huge agricultural sector, and we're certainly on the fringe, maybe, but um, we are a part of agriculture. To answer your question directly, um, the micro ranch is really an indoor farm, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a greenhouse for bugs, and it helps us control the temperature and humidity to the spe what specifically the species we're raising need mm -hmm. just like you would a plant only not a plant mm -hmm. so what other factors as far as food and environment go into the indoor farm for maybe give us an example of one species right um, well we are focusing right now on mealworms which are not worms they're actually the larva of a beetle and I like to call them molitos and I brought some for you guys to try Yay. crunchy deliciousness um, so uh, they like a uh, a very humid environment, um, one that we discovered actually kind of almost melts crickets. Too much humidity is very bad for crickets' bodies, so we don't farm them in the same space anymore. But anyway, um, and they also need about 80 degrees humidity. They live in um, a bed of, of grains that is also their food, and then they get their water from, uh, we feed them root vegetables, so they don't need an, another water source. Um, and then the other thing that we're testing is how much percentage of their feed, what they're eating, could be um, food waste. And in our case, it's spent brewing grains that we get from breweries, microbreweries. Oh. It's, um, it's, an, it's a, something that you know, other farmers have been using for a long time. And uh, sometimes we have to like, get in front of the hog farmer to make oh. sure we get our grains, but which I think is a fabulous thing that um, you know, anytime these kind of food waste streams can be diverted into agriculture, we're going to really lower our greenhouse gas emissions. Absolutely. I'm curious, um, does the mealworms diet or any insect affect the way that it tastes? That's a great question. Yes, absolutely. And there, um, I've known a couple farmers who finished crickets mm. on, um, you know, like say an herb, Ooh. and then they would have that uh, flavor coming out of it. And um, we can notice a difference when we were farming crickets. Uh, we were getting this beautiful um, corn mash from a distillery after they were done with it, and um, and it really uh, gave a sweeter taste to the crickets. So in that case, that was corn-fed crickets. Which sort of fascinating. Thing. It really does sound like a ranch, like the same way you would have finish a hog or a cow? There are a lot of parallels. I mean, we don't have the pasture that we have in our head, although we, I think most people who are listening uh, understand that the pasture is a bit of a fantasy mm. in uh, meat production. But And then, David, what about you? Um, I have heard that you are known as the godfather of insect cuisine. That's true. And indeed I am, yes. <laughs> what a title. <laughs> you know, in uh, 1996, I got this idea that I wanted to write an insect cookbook. And I approached 10 Speed Press, and they were in Berkeley at the time, and um, they went for it. So in 1998, that book came out. Yes, I've been eating bugs professionally for 21 years. What does that mean, eating bugs professionally? Well, I mean, as opposed to accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all do. Yeah, if you ride a motorcycle, you might, for sure. But, uh, you know, there are bugs in a lot of our everyday foods. Mm -hmm. So I actually had, like, an aesthetic. I wanted to make sure that the bugs in my recipes were actually very visible, not, like, buried in sauces or ground up and mixed with other things. I wanted people to know exactly what 
they were eating and what it tasted like. So very visible and very uh, lightly seasoned for the most part. And my first book had 33 recipes in it for cooking with everything from little tiny termites and ants all the way up to big tarantula spiders. Wow. And um, it was re released again in 2013. There was like a real wave of interest in edible insects mm -hmm. that year. And my publisher kind of put out a ritzier version of the same book with has 40 recipes in it. So nice. I'm just moving along. I've actually had a cookbook in print for 20 years, which is kind of unusual for a paperback book wow. about do you, anything. Do you remember the first time that you ever intentionally ate an insect and, and what was that experience like? I feel like I, a few years ago actually at HRN, I'm, one of my first like months there, I, I ate a cricket oh, for yeah, the first time. Oh yeah, there we go. You know, actually I do remember because I was at a, like a county fair kind of environment and the Master Gardeners group was there and they were serving um, Chex Mix with crickets. <laughs> Actually, was inspired to create my own version. I call it Chirpy Chex Party Mix. But I was That's like, fun. you know, if you go, I'm an adventurous eater. I'm not like just running around looking for a thrill. But if I do see something that looks unusual, I might try it. Mm -hmm. And um, well, gee, I've seen Japanese snack mixes that have little dried fish in them. And it wasn't that big a leap to have, pun intended, to have a cricket in my Chex Mix. <laughs> so I certainly enjoyed that. So that raises the question talking about cricket Chex Mix and Hannah eating a cricket a couple years ago. <laughs> is My question was going to be, what's the entry level insect mm. for newbies? Is it the cricket? Is it something else? I mean, in terms of what's available, it certainly seems like the cricket, and in, and even more so um, products that we're really familiar with, like protein bars, tortilla chips, cookies that have cricket powder mm -hmm. as a nutritional ingredient. And you know, I always say, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know because it's just a powder, mm -hmm. and it's really just adding um, functional nutrition, but not any really not a lot of flavor. They call crickets. crickets the gateway bug, yeah. by the way. So. I'm oh, really yeah. enjoying all these puns. It's, yeah, there it's you go. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. So I think that the cricket powder is, is one ingredient that seems to have um, become pretty popular lately mm -hmm. uh, because of the nutritional value that it can add to things without necessarily adding any cricket flavor. Right. Um, or antenna or legs, which are hard. That's that's yeah. it for, in, for entry level. And mm -hmm. for me, frankly, when I first ate. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there will be a tipping point where people realize, I'm already eating the cricket ground up. I might as well go all in and just eat the whole thing. So I'm, it's, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, and then you go. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, that, there's definitely the thought of that, and there, there has been, there was a pretty good um, consumer acceptance study that shows that people who have something with powder are more likely to eat, um, to eat something with a whole insect. But I think the, one of the things that I think about is that we need uh, more products beyond just powder or whole insect, things that are, um, you know, that are really easy for people to use, like a ground meat replacement is my personal favorite, or I made a jerky product that incorporates powder and whole um, crickets, and, and just ways for people to eat it so that they can have something delicious, get the nutrition, and um, and we don't have to have like this dichotomy of either, you know, a whole bug or the powder. All right, you go, David oh. George. Oh, I was going to say that 
It's interesting to me, you know, we basically eat what our parents or our grandparents gave us. And there are very few people, at least uh, European descent, who have had people give them bugs. So it's not, it's a learned skill, even like, how do you do this? Do I leave the wings on the locust? We don't know. So there's a, there's a high curb there in getting people excited about eating whole insects. It's not part of their diet. On the other hand, if you went to certain areas, well, for Africa, for example, they're very specific. They don't want to eat that grasshopper. They want to eat that grasshopper. I mean, they've worked that out. It's a, like any other comfort food. They, this is what mom used to make. Um, so I think there's a little, little degree of catching up that we Westerners need to do. That fun fact that 80% of the world's cultures eat insects is kind of humbling. We're in that 20% that thinks it's odd or gross or whatever and you know face it we're the weirdos in this equation so and just i just want to add one small thing which is that um when people are eating insects around the world it's not as a desperation food it's not because they don't have access to other food it's actually often a delicacy and something that's really um you know really revered so that's what's interesting is because i think here in the u.s a big conversation around eating insects is that oh, due to climate change, we're all going to be forced to eat insects one day. We better get used to it. I call that the Snowpiercer model. Have you seen <laughs> that? <laughs> that's right. I, yes. <laughs> I, I think that's so interesting because, to your point, we are in the minority of people who aren't eating insects because you want just want to eat them, and it's part of your, your mm -hmm. diet already. How do you think we get past the Snowpiercer effect, as you call it? <laughs> right, that, like, horror phase. It's bugs. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I mean, that's sort of our million-dollar question, or according to the latest market research, $523 million question is, um, uh, is, is I, I, I'll tell you my personal hypothesis, and I, want, I really want to hear David George's thoughts. Um, the, I think that people need um, to know about it, number one. So all of the media attention that this topic gets is, has mostly been really positive. They need a place to try it, mm -hmm. and then it needs to taste really flipping good mm. because food should taste good. I think that you know we all agree we're here at Fla Slow Food Nations, and I do think that deliciousness is, is a sort of a human right. Um, maybe that's sure. a privilege as well, but I don't think it should be a privilege. So, yeah, so that's my hypothesis. I, I have a three-point plan like a politician. What about oh, you? Oh, nice. Like well, that. you know, I have to tell you, I think that it's, it's a, a matter of raising the bar in terms of culinary expertise. Very few people know what to do with a bug when they're going to actually cook with it. Um, and there are chefs, well, Noma, for example, that's been voted the number one restaurant in the world multiple times. They do cooking with insects. Um, if in the hands of an experienced chef, they can really do good stuff. And I have to tell you, as much as you can talk about it's good for the planet or it's good for humanity, if your food tastes like cardboard, no one's going to get excited about it. So I really do believe it's about making grasshopper kebabs that are the right grasshopper with the right seasoning, things like that, and actually accentuating some of the flavors that are quite spectacular among the insect world. Um, I think that's really going to have ultimately the biggest tipping point for us. I think their three-point plan, Wendy, is very interesting because a big part of that as I can see it, is chefs and restaurants that want to kind of bring this to the forefront and make it super desirable. Right. There's Noma. There's also Alex Atala, who has a beautiful photo in his cookbook with a perfect cube of pineapple with a black ant on top. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole recipe. And so... You're making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so 
sounds very good. How, and I think that this is a tactic that a, a lot of other food companies and industries have, have used is get the chefs on board first and then they're the ones that disseminate this to consumers and to diners. Absolutely. We need a How bug you, lobby. Yes. We do a, need a, a chef a bug sh- lobby. A chef bug lobby. Um, we were delighted, by the way, to do an, a workshop yesterday at this uh, event and there were all sorts of people there, but it's it's nice. It's uh, in the international slow food. They even had an entire day's worth of programming about edible insects. It's incredible. Yeah, so they're starting to gain more popularity, more traction with chefs and food personalities, what have you. So I think it's happening. And it's really exciting when a chef gets a hold of um, of a good product. So you know, I've brought you uh, roasted insects, which are pretty widely available, but um, if a chef can get a hold of our, the equivalent of a fresh, which would be frozen insects, mm-hmm. because that's how you kill them, so you can't really defrost them mm. too much. So the, the ideal thing usually is to work with, um, with fresh product, and when they treat it just like any other ingredient, with looking at flavor and texture, then it's really quite amazing what people do. I, uh, the, my first customer for my micro ranch was... Um, uh, is here based in Denver, um, used to be at Linger, Daniel Asher, and uh, amazing, amazing chef. And he treated it with such love and respect. And um, he, the fact that I could tell people that we were at Linger, in fact, we're still on the menu there, it gives so much legitimacy. I can't even tell you. I see people's faces change from, oh, that's really cute, you're doing this little novelty thing, oh, bugs, to like kind of impressed. And that goes a really long way for, for the whole topic and for the industry. Mm-hmm. I have one question on, on that note, and then I want to do some tasting because I'm excited about that. But So there's also a restaurant in New York City called The Black Ant. Lovely place. And yeah. I w- I'm curious if you think the difference between a restaurant that is like, some might consider that almost a novelty concept because it's just so, it goes all in on insects and it's so specific. But then you, you're mentoring Linger that like incorporates that into an already existing menu that doesn't only focus on bugs. Which one do you think maybe um, is more enticing to the average diner? Mm-hmm. Or is there space for both all in on insects mm-hmm. and then insects as just another locally sourced ingredient? Yeah. I think that um, that we need both because we need so many, there's so few touch points for people to eat insects. And black ant, I think, treats insects actually with this beautiful heritage um, con- you know, idea that it's they're using uh, tr- insects that are traditional to the cuisine that they're serving. So it's, um, and they and they have, they explain that really well and, um, and they make delicious food. So I think mm-hmm. that that is definitely um, useful. And, you know, philosophically, when I started, I was anti-novelty, but now I think that we can use this novelty factor and even, you know, it's like all the humor and all of the terrible jokes that we will make and others will make about eating insects. We can use that as an entree point, an entry point to, um, to education and, and outreach. Like when the black ant was on Jimmy Kimmel, did you see that segment? No. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah. It was unfortunate, I thought. You know, it's kind of funny to me because we're um, talking about a Mexican cuisine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for people to be playing or bashing um, a culture for their foods, you eat bugs. It's kind of nuts. The Mexican people were eating uh, insects before uh, Columbus landed. 
It's part of their heritage. Um, they say that in Mexico, they eat something like 450 different kinds of insects, really from one valley to the next. So it's a very important part of the culture, and it shouldn't really just become slapstick entertainment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, if I can be David George's PR agent for a second, I think that you um, that you handled this with such aplomb and um, in terms of you know it's you're funny and you also are um, you know explaining real how insects can be real food and you were on Jimmy Kimball. I was on Conan O'Brien and I made him throw up. Oops. There's my big brag for today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's After impressive. the program, I tried to get back on the show. I called up the producer. I said, I think you need to have an all-bug th- all Thanksgiving menu. He said, I'd love it, but I don't think Conan will go for it. And then he explained that there was a gastric distress moment for him. Oh, my I heard goodness. it here. That's, That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, I think that I absolutely agree that, like, there has to be a sense of humor about it because... You know, otherwise it can be intimidating for people, but there's a line between uh, humor and then um, being maybe disrespectful of culture. You have to be sensitive about it. Can I say, though, that it's really wild to me that people have such strong feelings about food. You can get into fights with people over who has the best chili or, you know, that's not how you do barbecue where I come from. And and it's almost like talking politics or religion. It gets pretty wrought up pretty quickly. I've had people at my cooking demos come up and say, you're not going to eat that. And I'm going, no, you are. So, <laughs> it, but it's just a, it's literally a visceral thing. So it's interesting, whatever approach you take, it's got to work. And I think humor does, is a legitimate avenue for that. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's taste some mealworms. Yeah. And I think that we should treat uh, this food as all of our favorite foods. Like if we're doing a wine tasting or right. a, a, you know, whiskey tasting or anything. How would we? How would we best taste these mealworms to fully experience the flavor? Yeah, I mean, um, I would take a small amount and then just take a little bit of time chewing them. And I mean, these are here. I'll pass them over to Hannah first. Uh, these you. are just oven roasted with nothing added. There's no seasonings. Um, and. And, I, and then I don't want to say anything else because I really want to hear it, what you guys think about okay. them texturally and um, uh, also in terms of flavor. Okay. Yeah. And, and they, I have to say they, they, they look very appetizing. Like I can tell yeah. that they're going to be crunchy. Mm-hmm. and um, Crunchy helps, I think. Yeah. And, uh, although some bugs are very delicious when they're not crunchy, mm-hmm. but... Uh, Crunchy helps. <laughs> right, I think it, it, it takes yeah. a few steps probably for people to get comfortable with new textures. Yes. Right? So yeah. you, again, you said these are mealworms. Right. But they, they do look worm-ish. Right. But they're not worms. They're larvae of beetles. They're the larvae of the darkling beetle. I, I have made up a term called molitos, which is what I like to call these um, commercially, kind of like a marketing term, because larvae and worms are bad. Are not, are, they're not food words right now. It almost they're, tastes like a toasted. Um, Sunflower seed or something, mm-hmm. but it's flaky is not the right term. But I thought they were going to be like denser. Oh mm-hmm. yes, and yeah, they're yeah, super yeah. light. Yes, and very crunchy. That's right. That's a result. These would be of great as a topping on a salad, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. So yes. croutons or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and you're getting all these amazing uh, benefits. You're getting protein, of course, mm-hmm. but all these vitamins and minerals. Uh, omega three fatty acids. You normally get that from eating salmon or other oily fish. 
Uh, you're getting vitamin B12 if you're a vegan, let's say. So it's a really great way to go, just adding, adding these as an additive to your food. Okay, you mentioned something interesting, if you're a vegan. So talk about the relationship uh, between vegans and insects. Or people with a vegetarian diet. Yes. That's been a really interesting uh, experience for me, seeing how people react to this. People will often say, and they're asking this in a philosophical way, I think, not in a you know, scientific classification way, but they'll say, are these animals? And, you know, it's a really interesting question, I mean, in terms of... Uh, you know, they're classified as animals. They do have, um, most but not all have a central nervous system. Um, probably they probably they don't experience suffering in the way that we define it, philosophically and scientifically. Um, but uh, to answer your question directly, I've been surprised personally, and I'm curious what you think, David George, um, by how many people who have a vegetarian diet are willing to eat insects. And it maybe depends on why they eat that way. That is what's yeah. very interesting to yeah. me. But That's if it's right. for, you know, environmental, sustainable right. reasons, it seems like this is sort of a, an animal protein that is without any significant negative impact on the environment, which yeah. there's really nothing well, else. Well, if you're interested in eating lower on the food chain, mm -hmm. this is definitely the way to go, eating insects. Right. Uh, I read actually a very scholarly article that said <laughs> in Japan, when Buddhism began to flourish in Japan, um, people started eating insects as a way of getting mm. around that, not Ooh. harming animals, that it was okay to harm insects, I guess. So philosophically, that fit with Buddhist teachings. And I think many people may be familiar with the idea that oysters can be part of a regenerative system for our oceans. Right. And so I think similarly, there's some vegetarians and vegans that make an exception for oysters because yes. it's not, it's, they're cleaning the water, they're helping right. our ecosystems instead of, yeah. you know, contributing to overfishing. Um, insects are the same way. Insects are a huge part of regenerative agriculture and soil health and sequestering carbon. So I think that mm -hmm. it totally makes sense to me. Uh, I would d never ever fault a vegan for including insects in their diet. <laughs> yeah. I think you could be an entomotarian yes. and oh. eat insects as well as being a vegetarian. I heard I another one, exoskeletarian. Exoskeletarian. I like that a lot. It has a ring to it. It's nice. long, though. It's hard to say. I like entomocentric cuisine. That's mm. what I talk about. Because it needs to have the whole entomo. Otherwise, ento just means inside. Mm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, entomo, that would be insects. Yeah, people say entomophagy. I don't love that one, but I don't the like eating that of term. insects. I, I get grouched out about this term entomophagy. First of all, because it just looks weird in print. But also, it really just sets apart eating bugs from all the other foods. Mm -hmm. You don't say, I went to an oyster bar and engaged in melacophagy. <laughs> You know, that's just not what we do. Mm. But it is uh, a word that gets thrown around a lot. I think because some people just like big words. The same people who like names for dinosaurs. You know. <laughs> um, Wendy, I have a question for you. So if, if, if any of our listeners or anyone um, observing our chat today is interested in starting their own tiny ranch, it seems like it yeah. wouldn't, it might be more accessible way of growing your own food and right. then, you know, maybe having a couple of cows in your backyard. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips for someone who's interested in yeah. starting their own uh, yeah, micro ranch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, zoning will like you better if you're farming um, They'll never worms. have to know. They'll probably works well for an apartment, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Denver zoning will report everything to you. <laughs> um, 
so uh, yeah, there actually are a couple really good YouTube channels um, that are devoted to uh, either cricket farming or mealworm farming, and um, it, it, at, a, at the home level, it's actually quite easy. It's not. Um, it's uh, it's it, when you're talking about a, f a commercial facility, it gets a little bit trickier because uh, yeah, it just gets a little bit harder than that. Um, sorry, I was distracted by people yelling. Huh, huh. Um, Understandably. It's a happening place heckled? here today. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Is that yeah. PETA? No, we're just kidding. Bad joke. Um, <laughs> so um, bas but basically, if at, a, at a home level, you would really just need a couple bends um, and an understanding of their life cycle. And, um, and then, you know, a few resources like uh, for crickets, I recommend cowboy crickets. They're based in Montana. They have a farm, and they've done this beautiful education series. And then uh, Space Coast Mealworms, which is such a great name, uh, that's in Florida. They have a really good mealworm channel. Is it um, is there an easy enough way for someone, if, if they're like a home gardener, to incorporate a bit of a micro ranch into their garden? I mean, definitely mealworms, or sorry, uh, earthworms, which mm -hmm. are technically edible but not very delicious you have to purge their gut um, in terms of the I mean uh, one of the reasons that we farm insects indoors is because they die in the cold and mm. which is as I mentioned how we kill them when it's their time to be harvested and um, so you could you certainly could incorporate it but you'd probably be looking at more like beneficial insects like like uh, the ladybugs like mm. we were saying they're the ambassadors of the insect world what do you think David George? well I have to say I think the biggest peril of harvesting your own bugs from the outdoors are pesticides mm. and even if you're an organic farmer there's no guarantee that this bug didn't come crossing the fence and over into your from your next door neighbor's lot that's so a good point. That, and that's a real peril I mean what they call bioaccumulation if you, uh, one insect with a little bit of pesticide in it probably is not going to make a big difference but if you're actually regularly chowing down that's going to gather uh, those pesticides in your fat cells and actually do cause harm so and then be you, careful you mentioned that um, you use cold as the way to harvest the bugs so if you mm -hmm. are doing it at home like what's the method for you know the introducing the cold oh yeah it's really just putting them in a bag in the freezer yeah easy um, and this A mimics how they die in nature and B um, they go into a stasis kind of like a sleep very quickly it's kind of amazing within like, a, like a shellfish yes exactly like exactly <laughs> and that's a great segue thank you Hannah the uh, <laughs> shellfish and insects uh, also spiders are all part of the same phylum so they're like cousins it's um, and so um, they're all arthropods and that's one of the reasons why we talk about a shellfish allergy for eating insects because they're so closely related it's not well understood there's not a lot of scholarship yet about that allergy but it's also kind of a nice touchstone a food touchstone if you will because if you think about how lobster or crabs look i mean they're really just um you know bugs of the sea and and the con i wish we had a term like seafood for mm -hmm. marketing um I don't. Mm -hmm. I haven't really heard a good one. I've heard I micro like meat. I don't really micro like meat. That. Land yeah. shrimp. Yeah, tweet yeah. us if you have a have a good uh, yes, term. Yes, we need marketing <laughs> help out there. Mm. Put the call out. We need we need some. We need the chef chef lobby. We need the marketing arm. Right. Yeah, we need we some need, bug influencers. We need bug these. Influencers. We need these new names because you know, like in the seafood world, they change the names of fish all the time. It was a Patagonian toothfish, and now it's a Chilean sea bass. I mean, they just changed the name. It's true. Yeah. Toothfish just doesn't branding. sound like something I want to 
dig into. So. Right. And that's why, I, that's why I'm trying to push Molitos, which yeah. is you know, for anyone to use uh, that is doing this. Although we're the only farm in the U.S. right now that are raising millworms for humans. Uh, there are they many. They're delicious. I, I re- yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I would totally sprinkle that on my salad. I, I thought it, that I would enjoy the experience for the experience, but like, I, would eat, I would eat those on a regular basis. Absolutely. Definitely. And yeah, definitely the, te- the texture would just go great with so many foods. I think yeah. so, and they could be nicely chopped up a little bit. I've actually thought about testing. I need to just do this and stop talking about it, but I need. I want to roughly chop them so that they don't look so much like larvae slash worms, mm-hmm. and they're more like a seed. And I wonder if that mm. might, because a lot of people tell me that the, the visuals are hard for them sure. with the millworms. That's and because actually, they haven't eaten a centipede like David George has. We were serving, yesterday, we were serving uh, Chinese black ants. So good. They really taste amazing. It's they've got a very hard to describe flavor profile. Uh, they're just little ants. They've li- be, literally been parboiled and then dried in the sun in China. And they sell them as medicine in China to to do everything from slow the aging process to increase sexual vigor. Mm. So I think they're the gateway bug. If you've got your hands on some black ants, you can certainly find them online. Uh, any of these like, sort of unusual distributors, you'd be amazed. That's a really good way to introduce a bug without getting into the, oh, it's looking back at me and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. It's creepy crawly. It's, yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. And I think we we were talking yesterday with Chef Steven Satterfield, who obviously does a lot of work with the Arc of Taste and with Mm -hmm. Binet seeds and Sea Island red peas and all these heirloom varietals that they're working so hard to protect. But it seems to me that if we're in pursuit of all these flavors mm-hmm. and we're not going to the insect world for all these flavors that don't exist elsewhere, mm-hmm. then we're really, really missing out on something. We are really missing out on something, yeah. And it's obviously very much like location specific. It is going to be the flavor of your region if you're yeah. tapping into those those little buggies. Right. They that have the true. terroir working with exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm. Okay, well, my wheels are going to be turning for a long time now about... Uh, marketable terms for our insect friends. Oh, oh I'm excited. Good. Thank We're you. excited about that. Absolutely. <laughs> please, please help us. Um, so my last question for you is uh, any other uh, teasers you want to share about uh, events you have going on this weekend at Slow Food Nations? Yeah, well, the uh, the finale dinner tonight, the zero waste dinner, um, they will have some insects in there, and actually, uh, Chef Daniel Asher will be cooking them. So we're super duper excited about that. He he has a magical touch with food in general, but that'll be really fun. What sort of insects? Are uh, we, you? He has mealworms and crickets. We, yeah. we made uh, orzo pasta mm-hmm. with crickets. It's actually one of my, it, Time Magazine called this my signature dish. How do you like that? Mm-hmm. So we had lots of it because it's a lot easier to make lots of orzo than a little bit of orzo. Mm-hmm. And um, the orzo and crickets is part of the, the meal tonight. Yeah. Fabulous. I'm so and excited to eat more bugs soon. I know. <laughs> and I think that there, as of yesterday, there were still tickets left for the zero waste dinner. So I believe that should still be the case. And people can go to slowfoodnations.org to find those tickets and have the opportunity to try um, some bugs from Wendy's Ranch. And I got to put in a plug for Wendy Lou. Uh, support your local bug farm. Because you know what? They're also a great opportunity to not have to ship your food thousands of miles or hundreds of miles. Like the fun statistic about vegetables, for example, how far they travel. Mm-hmm. You could actually have an insect farm down the block from you with very little sweat to set that thing up and um, supply a whole neighborhood or a whole part of a city, for example. 
So well, thank you. Three cheers for Rocky Mountain Micro Ranch. Thank you. Amazing. Okay, well, thank you both so much for sitting down with us. This was enlightening. Thank you both all so right. much for taking time and all the that great questions. Oh, really thanks for the it. snacks. Yeah. One, yeah. I'm going to leave these for you guys. You thank need sustenance you. through That's the day. So kind. One last bug pun. We say bug appetite. Bug appetite. Bug, bug appetite. Um, once again, Wendy Lou McGill and David George Gordon. Uh, thanks to Hannah Forden. Um, you can learn more about the Rocky Mountain Micro Ranch at rmmr.co. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, uh, thanks once again to our supporters, Slow Food USA, Hearst Ranch, The Big Green Egg, and the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for making all of our coverage today possible. Stick around. We're going to be here all day. All right. Yay. <laughs>